0: Thank you for listening to Pastor Sean's Bible Study Teaching Podcast from Emmanuel Baptist Church in Sterling, Colorado. This lesson was recorded during our Wednesday night adult seminars. For more information on Emanuel Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean.
1: So let's turn to Exodus 20 and remind ourselves of what the second commandment was. And we're going to get to the third commandment. And we're going to do a little bit of review because I think the first, second, and the third commandment are all intrinsically tied together because it deals with worship, the proper worship of God, and even when you get to the fourth commandment as well. So uh, the first commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Commandment number two, in verse 4, you shall not make for yourself to carve image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that's in the earth beneath, or that's in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So the second, the first commandment talks about worshiping the right God. Second commandment talks about worshiping the right God in the right way. And so we are not supposed to Make graven or carved images. Now, most of us are not going to go home tonight and go into your backyard and get a piece of wood and carve an idol and bow down and worship that, okay? In pagan cultures, that's pretty common, but in America, we don't do that. But we are still susceptible to this type of idolatry. And so what I want to talk about is this whole concept of worshiping God in the right way, And so let me just begin by asking a question, can you worship the right God in the wrong way?
0: Yes,
1: Yes. that's breaking the second commandment. Breaking the first commandment is worshiping a false God or having another God. Okay, so what I want to talk about tonight is what's called the regulative principle of worship, and the Westminster Confession gives a pretty good definition of it. And I'm going to explain this and then we'll talk a little bit about how the second commandment historically in Protestant evangelical churches, the regulative principle has played a role in that. So the acceptable way of worshiping, this is what the Westminster Confession calls it, the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by Himself and so limited by His own revealed will that He may not be... Worshipped according to the imaginations and devices of men or the suggestions of Satan under any visible representation or any other way not prescribed in Holy Scripture. Now, let me explain to you what the rel- regulative principle means. The regulative principle says this in public worship, when we gather together in corporate worship, we are not to add any elements into worship that aren't clearly prescribed in the Bible. Okay? Now, there's a big debate about this because some churches will add in other things, and, I, and I'm not here to argue one way or the other. I've got a viewpoint, and I think we can discuss that, but we have to make a distinction between elements and circumstances when it comes to public worship. Um, yeah, my little thing's not working. Elements are those aspects of worship that Scripture commands that we do. Circumstances are those things we do in order to perform those elements. So the elements of Scripture, I mean, elements of a worship service, you guys tell me, what would be the biblical ordered things that we must have in a worship service if we're going to be faithful? You guys tell me, what are some of those things that are regulated by the Bible that we should have in our public worship service? Okay, hey, prayer, what else? Teaching from the okay, te- preaching or teaching from the scriptures. Prayer, preaching. Singing. singing. Okay, singing, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. What else? Collection. Collection of tithes and offerings, giving. Okay, what else? Fellowship. Okay. So what else? Missing two big ones. Lord's Supper, Lord's Supper and... Baptism and Lord, so, the, so the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Okay, so in scripture reading. Now, those are the elements that should be in a worship service that are prescribed by God. The circumstances are, okay, how are you going to do that? The Bible doesn't say, thou shalt use a microphone. But what do we do? We use a microphone so you can hear me preach. Does the Bible talk about Praise songs versus hymns, hymnal versus scream. No. So we have some freedom in the circumstances and how we're going to do that. Does the Bible tell you that you have to have Sunday school or small groups? No, but we do that as a way to help you learn the Bible. Okay, what about a bulletin? Does the Bible tell you you have to have a bulletin? What about a praise team and a choir? Do you have to have a praise team and a choir? Okay. So, the regulative principle says, I'm going to write two things up on here. There's the regulative principle, and there is what we call the normative principle. And these were debated back in the Protestant Reformation. Calvin, John Calvin, and those that were more from the Presbyterian, that came out of Calvinism, subscribe to the regulative principle. Luther, on the other hand, and those that are Lutheran, argued for the normative principle. Okay, what's the difference? Regulative principle says you can only do what the Bible tells you to do and nothing else. Normative principle says you are free to have things in worship as long as they don't contradict what the Bible says. So let me give you an example. Regulative principle would say, you are not allowed to have skits or puppets in a worship service because those are not specifically prescribed in Scripture. (laughs) The normative principle would say, you can have a skit in a worship service, you can have puppets in a worship service, as long as those skits and puppets are worshipful and don't go against what God teaches, okay? And so there's a little bit of debate about how this plays out. Now, you can take these to the extreme. Um, the norm I think you're a little bit more controlled under the regulative principle, to be honest with you, because at least you know what the bounds are. Scripture, prayer, preaching, Lord's Supper, fellowship, tithes, and offerings. How those happen, you've got some freedom normative principle can be taken to the extreme to where you can begin to add any type of element into a worship service and it it almost becomes entertainment value. Have you heard of these big megachurches that have WWE fighters come in and and they they, they fight on stage during the pastor's sermon or they have motorcycles and all, all this kind of stuff? The question becomes, how far do you go in worshiping God... And could you possibly be in danger of breaking the second commandment if you take it too far? So those that hold to the regulative principle say, at least we've got a guideline here that will help us not break the second commandment by doing only what God prescribes. Normative principle people say, we can do things, there's freedom as long as they don't violate Scripture. Um, And so let's just ask some questions about worship because the second commandment is about worshiping the right God in the right way. So I'm going to ask you some questions. Number one, do we focus on visual entertainment over hearing the word preached? What's more important for God? Visual entertainment or the word preached? Okay. How did God reveal Himself all throughout Scripture? Through the Word or through visuals? A little bit of both, A bit of both in the Old Testament. Okay, so do you think churches today can focus more on visual entertainment to the neglect of preaching and hearing of the Word? Some of them. Some of them, okay to where I told you guys about the Finding Nemo Church. Haven't I not told you guys about the Finding Nemo Some of you remember the... Like, I have no idea what you're talking about. My parents, when they moved to San Francisco Bay Area, when my dad was a seminary professor, um, they were looking for churches to visit. So they went to this one church. And the pastor... They sang three praise songs. The pastor got up, and his sermon was showing clips from Finding Nemo. And he gave about... It was about a 15-minute message, and he gave spiritual insights from Finding Nemo to help them understand the problems of their life and kind of tacked God on the end, and then the sermon was over. So my parents called that the Finding Nemo Church, (laughs) okay? So a lot of churches will say, it's too boring to have a man stand up there and explain the scriptures for people to hear. We've got to entertain people with more visuals, we'll show video clips, we'll show movies, we'll bring in all this stuff because we need to keep people's attention. That could be in violation of breaking the second commandment because you're focusing more on visual representations than you are the way God has told us to do that and have the word preached. Now listen to this quote from Michael Horton. Um, if you ever, if you know who Michael Horton is, he's on the White Horse Inn. I encourage you, if there's one podcast you listen to, listen to the White Horse Inn. I listen to it every Sunday morning getting ready for church. It's only a half an hour Um, If you go to iTunes or however you get it, it's called the White Horse Inn. Uh, It's usually him and three other people uh, that talk about a lot of good stuff. But this is what Mike Horton says. When we quote, when we come to church in order to get something rather than to give something, namely praise, thanksgiving, fellowship, and service, and when we come as members of an audience expecting to passively experience the events of the service rather than to actively participate in them as members of a congregation, what is going to challenge us to get beyond that sort of worldly thinking on Monday morning? Worship has the power to change us as no other activity. Would you agree with that? So do you come to worship? Do you come as a passive audience member waiting to get entertained? Or do you come ready to fully engage with God through singing, through giving, through hearing, through fellowshipping? Uh, that's really one of the ways that we can truly worship God. Now, let me give you a question. Last week, we said no images of Jesus, no images of God, because God's invisible, right? Holy Spirit's invisible. Jesus is the only one of the Trinity that has a body. And we said Jesus is the visible representation of an invisible God. That's why, we, that's why we don't make carved images. We don't make images because Jesus is the image. So let me ask you a controversial question. What do you do with the Jesus film or pictures of Jesus in a children's storybook? Or some of you may have a picture of Jesus, that famous picture of Jesus, you know, with the feather, with the kind of like his product in his hair kind of thing. Um,
0: Okay. I mean, the Jesus film is the gospel.
1: I'm just throwing this out there because I don't have a problem personally with the Jesus film. I don't have a problem with the Jesus storybook. But there are people that are extremely on the regulative principle side that will say any depiction of Jesus, whether it's in a skit or a passion play or a Jesus film or a picture of Jesus or a crucifix or anything that is a visual representation of Jesus is breaking the second commandment because we don't know what he looked like, and you are making an image of something that should be in heaven. Now, I would, I would just say, and I, and I agree with Stephanie, if the purpose of the Jesus film is to lead people to worship the true Jesus and not the actor... Or if a Jesus storybook is meant to lead a child to worship Jesus and not the picture of Jesus, I think it's okay if it's instructional. What becomes a problem is if you begin to worship, I guess, that actor that plays Jesus um, or you begin to have um, somehow that picture of Jesus becomes more... um, like a superstition. Like I know some people that, that I've known, they have a picture of Jesus. Like when you go to India, guys that have gone to India, you will see pictures of Jesus next to all the other gods in their, in their hut. And they've just added Jesus to all their other gods. And they have like, you know, so because they're visual icon people. They, he's one of the many different people you're worshiping. And so that's one of the ways you can break the second commandment. It's okay to have a picture of Jesus on your wall. My, my only, here's my only issue with pictures of Jesus on walls. We do not know what Jesus looked like. So it's still an artist rendering of what that person thinks Jesus looks like. Yeah. And so you just got to be aware that sometimes I think, like when I was growing up, you guys all know that famous picture of Jesus that I'm talking about, or his profile. I don't know if you guys know, and his hair's back. Okay, I grew up with I grew up in church, scene. So I think sometimes your image of Jesus can be shaped by a picture, as opposed to, like a lofty picture of, of him who he is in the scriptures. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying you have to be careful that you understand that may not be what Jesus looked like, and don't worship that picture. And yeah, is that? Yeah, Yeah. all the different, yeah, yeah. And we'll get to that in just a moment. Okay?
0: I was going to say, Sean, that in the Bible, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen 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 my Father. father. But if we don't know what Jesus looks like, how do we know what Jesus looks
1: like? Well, the Father's invisible. It's more, it's more the attributes, yeah. Okay. So, all right, so that's, that's number one. Number two, just a modern-day application, quote-unquote, this is another way we can be in danger of breaking the second commandment, worshiping the right God in the wrong way. Do we, quote, domesticate God by treating him as a genie in a bottle? The prosperity gospel. What does the word faith movement tell you? God is obligated to bless you if you say the right formula. If you name it, you claim it. If you confess it, God, God doesn't want you to be poor. He doesn't want you to be sick. You, you have the power in your words to create your reality. And if something, if you do get sick or you do get poor, it's because you didn't have enough faith because God's like this cosmic butler that has to operate on command based upon your words. It's the word faith movement, the prosperity gospel. I think one of the biggest ways the second commandment is broken today is the prosperity gospel. Because you have these people out there that are telling you that you can control God and get God to do what you want Him to do for you if you follow the right formula. If you just name it, claim it. It's like God's a vending machine. If you push the right buttons and say the right things, He's obligated to bless you. Okay? All right, number three. This one is a danger. Do we practice an imbalance by over- or under-emphasizing God's attributes? Let me give you an example. Some churches focus exclusively, exclusively is the key word there, on the love of God to the neglect of the justice or wrath of God. So, is God love? Yes. Should we emphasize that? Yes. Is God a God of holiness and justice? Yes. Should we emphasize that? Yes. Okay, Should one be more emphasized than the other? There should be a, a balance. Some churches will emphasize God's love to the neglect of His justice, and some will you know talk about His justice to the neglect of His love. There's an imbalance. So basically what you're doing is you are basically giving an imbalanced view of God. And one of the ways that I hear people break the second commandment a lot, and you probably heard somebody say this, They'll say something like, to me, my God would never, dot, 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 my God would never disapprove of a homosexual lifestyle. He's an accepting God. Or somebody might say, to me, I think God is, and they'll tell you something that's totally opposite of what the Bible says. Or in my heart, I really feel God to be this. They've made God to be what they want God to be, as opposed to who God is. Now, that's breaking the second commandment.
0: Yeah, you know what I
1: hear a lot is, God and I have an understanding. God have an understanding.
0: Wow.
1: <laughs> wow. Yeah, God, God and I have an understanding. Yeah. And what is that? What they mean by it is I'm allowed to sin, yeah. and God, I love sinning. God loves forgiving. We have a great understanding. Is that kind of what they're saying? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, that gives a connotation of I'm equal. Yeah. So let me give you an example. Um, back in 2013, um, the Presbyterian Church USA, which is a liberal Presbyterian denomination, um, they wanted to add In Christ Alone to their hymnal. The song we sing, In Christ Alone. I think we even sing it Sunday. In Christ Alone. But they had problems with the one line Till on the cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. They didn't like that line because they didn't believe that God's a God of wrath who needed to pour out His justice on Jesus on the cross. So they wanted to change the lyrics to, Till on the cross as Jesus died, the love of God was magnified. So what did they want to elevate? God's love over His wrath. The writers of the hymn, uh, Keith Getty and Stuart Townend said, no, you're not going to be able to do that can't change the lyrics of our song. And so they decided not to add it into the hymnal. Because in their minds, love was a higher, the, the ultimate attribute of God to the neglect of others. Okay? Let me give you another one. We may be in danger. Do we promote extreme practices or superstitions in worship that are not found in the Bible? Like getting drunk in the spirit or teleportation or gold dust or angelic visits from these big fluffy angels that um, there's some weird stuff out there that people will say happens to them. And you look in the Bible and say, I don't see anything about this. Barking like dogs. Okay, here's the progression of how this has happened. Back in the 70s. It was getting slain in the spirit. You'd fall back and get slain in the spirit. In the 80s, it was getting drunk in the spirit. In the 90s, it was barking like cats and dogs and laughing, the laughter movement in the spirit. In the late 90s, it was vomiting in the spirit. People were vomiting. In the early 2000s and today, it's getting stoned in the spirit. It's this token, the ghost. Uh, people talk about, you go on these YouTube, go, go, go on Google or YouTube and type token the Holy Ghost. There's a guy out there that acts like he's smoking Jesus and he's like, I'm smoking I'm high on Jesus. And it's like, it looks like he's really high, but, and so they've taken extreme, <laughs> I'm serious. I should have showed you a clip. They've taken, so they've taken extreme, extreme things that don't even show up in scripture and they attribute it to the Lord that's breaking the second commandment because what are you doing? You're worshiping the right God. They've got God right, but they're worshiping in the wrong way. Sort of God right, maybe. (laughs) Okay? Now, let me give you something that's very, very controversial. In our circles, not going to happen. In our circles, most people aren't going to go that route. In our circles, what's controversial are... Let me ask you a question. This is a sacred cow in Southern Baptist churches. We don't do it at our church, but in some churches, if you grew up in the South the traditional altar call where you have everybody bow your head, close your eyes, sing um, 800 stanzas of Just As I Am, and have people flock to the front, and then people raise their hand and repeat after me a prayer, and then the pastor pronounces everybody saved. And if you grew up in the South, that happens every Sunday. Not saying there's necessarily anything wrong with that, but is there anywhere in the Bible that's prescribed to have a public invitation? No. It's a practice that was adopted in the late 1800s, that was perfected by Billy Graham, that still kind of happens today, but nowhere is it prescribed in the Bible that you should do it. And so, I got into a Facebook discussion last week on two groups I'm in, and I just, you know, um, asked that question to some people: what, you know, what do you do at the end of your service if you don't have a traditional altar call? And almost everybody that was in one. One group I'm in, do it like we do. We make ourselves available at the front. If somebody wants to come down, we, we want to talk to you, we want to have the privacy, we don't embarrass anybody. It's more just you know casual. culturally, you know people aren't used to that. The other group I'm with was like, you've got to make people make a public commitment and it's not manipulative pressure and you, you know you dim the lights and you get that you know organ going and you've got to get them coming down. <laughs> And if they don't come down, these sing one more hymn. I know God's working on somebody out there. I know God's working on somebody. C- c- come on down. You-, you may not have another chance. Come on down now. You know, like a whole manipulation stuff. Okay, so, you know, that's maybe an example. And then last one is, do we approach God through an unmediated encounter? Now, what do I mean by an unmediated encounter? What I mean by this is there are a lot of people that want to worship God. And by the way, I've got to tell you guys a story about what happened Sunday. Because some of you don't know what happened on Sunday. And it was kind of freaky. Okay. So there's a cult in town that um, these people know very well. Um, they go around. I've announced it from the pulpit. They've gone around. They've accosted people. um, Anyway, I had my new members class, Discovering a Manual class. started Sunday. Everybody I knew that had signed up showed up, and Bonnie, you were in there, and and maybe you picked up on what was going on. Okay, so uh, I'm going to debrief with the class because you're probably like, what in the world happened in there? So this young gentleman was sitting there, and we go around the circle, and we do like we normally do, and have everybody introduce themselves, and this is what he said. He said, we are here today to find out if Emmanuel lives up to the name of Emmanuel. And I said, Who's with you? You're saying we. We are here today. I like, well, is somebody else with you? Is somebody like in another class? No, we're and he goes, There's a we and I. I'm like, okay. So one of the things we talk about in the New Members class is the Trinity. One God, three distinct persons. And I and we talk about, is the Father the same person as the Son? No. Is Jesus the same person as the Spirit? No, they're, they're one God, but they're three persons. Well, this young man kept disagreeing with me, and he started talking about the mother God, the mother God. Um, and so we went to John 1.1. I started writing some Greek on the board and everything like that. And I don't know, Bonnie, from your perspective, the rest of the class, he kind of seemed a little um, like mocking and laughing and being real um, kind of huffing at everything that I was saying, with this kind of attitude. Well, after the class, he went to the sanctuary. He sat down, and, um, you know, he, he was kind of antsy. And so I walked, up the, I walked up the aisle, and I smiled at him, and he scowled at me with like this growl type thing. And I'm like, ooh, this is going to be kind of interesting. Okay, those of you that were here Sunday, one of the points in my sermon was about how Jesus was equal with the Father, and... And so during that, I get I found out after the service because after the service, um, Andrea Waitley came to me. and She's like, "What in the world was going on during the service? Because there was some satanic spiritual warfare going on." I'm like, "Yes, I know. <laughs> I've alerted all my elders or people praying, praise team was praying." She said that during that time, he was about ready to stand up and like contradict what I was saying, and she prayed in Jesus' name for him to be silent, and he was. Um, and then. After the fact I've talked to some of my other pastor friends in town and he people from that church have gone to other churches and basically tried the same thing. So if he shows up again this Sunday, I'm not sure what to do. I'm sure he understood that it should have been very uncomfortable for him. But the point is they're worshiping a false god and They're not worshiping God in Trinity. And what I'm saying is there are people out there that can actually think they can get to God the wrong way, not through the Trinity. So the question is, and by the way, I'm very thankful for our safety and security team because I went immediately to Phil, safety and security, and Steve Smith was standing next to Phil when I went to him. And Steve said, if this is the guy I think you're talking about, we had to kick him off NJC this week because he was being belligerent. And so I pointed him out and Steve's like, Yeah, that's the gentleman we had to ask not not be on campus. So all my elders knew what was going on, praise team knew, key people. So there was a lot of prayer covering going on. Um, and I some of my pastor friends today are like, why didn't you just kick him out? I'm like, well there was no reason to kick him out until there, and said part of me was waiting for something to happen. Like, I was just waiting. <laughs> I, mean, I really was. I was like, I was waiting for something to go down, and I was ready to go. And I'm kind of, afterwards, was like, oh, but nothing happened. I'm, and so God, I mean, it may cause more confusion if it did. So, Bonnie, was it confusing in the class, or did you just kind of be like, what in the world's going on here? Yeah, yeah it, was, it
0: wasn't
1: confusing. I knew the moment. You, you knew the moment that it, it was going to, okay. Okay, well hopefully nobody else in the class, I'm going to have to debrief this Sunday, hopefully he doesn't, sh- there, yeah. yeah, and just pray for him and pray for that group.
0: Yeah,
1: so here's the question, <laughs> do we worship God as Trinity, do we, and some of you may have been, some, did, did some of you feel that something was going on and didn't quite know it, or were you just oblivious, because some of you may have just felt like it was a normal Sunday, some people, yeah, so anyway, yeah.
0: I wasn't there. I, I missed it. I was going little bit late. I didn't want to come in late, but I ran into him two other times. He came to my home mm-hmm. talking, and I met him over here at the parts store. They were parked on the side, broken down, and I just wanted an offer, offering mm-hmm. him a uh, helping hand, and he just went off. He, I thought, you are, you don't, I mean, you lit up something you don't even want. <laughs> <laughs> said, this is going to happen. And yeah. It was. It, it just feels so bad, so terrible. You shouldn't feel that way to somebody, but yeah. he wouldn't shut up. He yeah. said bad things about you. Yeah. Bad things about the church. Yeah. He says, "Emmanuel," blah 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 blah. I said, "This was after uh, this not was last night.
1: No, huh? no, and I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, I'm not. That doesn't bother me, and I know Jr. and Lisa have had some issues with him too. Yeah, just, so. I'm not
0: bragging. I mean, he just, I said, man, just, just. You don't have no idea. I mean, <laughs> came here to offer you a hand and here you are bad us. You don't have no, any idea what you're talking about. Blah, 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 blah. blah. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we definitely... When ah. you interact with him though, he, was, he, like, he started to warm up actually a tiny bit. Yeah, I mean... Oh, I yeah,
1: well, here's the thing about it. I don't want to spend a lot of time yeah. on this tonight, but in situations like that, he wasn't belligerent, he was asking questions, but I, I was at a point where like either he's going to take over this class or I'm going to take control of this class. So I, And so I felt like I need to give some spiritual authority like right here, right now. Mm-hmm. That's why I wrote on Greek on the board, and it wasn't like to confuse you guys, I'm just like I'm going to show this guy some spiritual authority that I know the original language and I'm going to explain this and if you can refute it, go ahead type thing. That's really what I was trying to do because I felt like in that moment he needed to understand and I hate to say this, I say this humbly as I can, he needed to understand who was boss. Yeah. I mean, he, he came on our turf, and, and I'm protecting the flock, so he needed to understand that, and I think because of that, and then also God's intervention, I think he calmed down, because there was really no way he could, because everything he was asking, I was refuting. I was just going back, like, well, you're assuming this, you're assuming that, and the original language doesn't say this, and then he just kept laughing, like, Almost like I don't know, I don't have an answer for you, so I'm just going to laugh. But I don't agree with what you're saying with. So, anyway. You could hear him laughing from where you were sitting? Yeah. Yeah. So... So do we draw near to the Father through Christ as our mediator by means of the power of the Holy Spirit? Or as some people, maybe not this cult, but do we look within to mysticism or Gnosticism to try to tap into God without Christ? This is where people say things like this. And you probably heard this a lot. I'm very spiritual, but not into the gospel or Jesus. I want to tap into God, but I don't want to go through Jesus. Okay, That's breaking the second commandment. 1 Timothy 2, 5-6 says this, For there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. All right, let's move into the third commandment, okay? And so let's review for a moment. The first commandment asks the question, am I worshiping God correctly, the, the right God? Am I, do I Do I have God right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, you shall have no other gods before me. Are you worshiping the right God? Second commandment is, am I worshiping the right God in the right way? Okay. Third commandment deals with, am I worshiping the right God in the right way with the right attitude towards His holy name? Okay, so let's look at the third commandment. It's in verse 7. Back in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Some translations may say you shall not misuse. Do some of your translations say misuse the Lord's name? Yeah. Uh, Take it in vain, misuse it. We're going to talk about that. So, there are three big questions to ask related to this passage of Scripture. Here's question number one on the third commandment, okay? We're transitioning into the third commandment now. Question number one, what exactly is involved in taking God's name in vain or misusing His name? What does that mean? Okay? It's the Hebrew word nasah, which literally means to lift it up. To, so there's two words there in the Hebrew text. I'm getting a little technical here, but I want to just explain these. There's sa, which means to lift, literally to lift up. You shall not lift up the Lord's name. And then shav is the word vain. Or misuse. So there's really two words there. You shall not lift up the Lord's name in vain, or you shall not misuse it by lifting it up in misuse. Okay. And so that Hebrew word nasa. It means more than just speaking God's name. But it means more broadly, like owning His name, or wearing His name, or bearing His name. So let me ask you a question: Can you? take on God's name without verbalizing it based upon how you live or how you act and we'll talk about that in just a moment okay that second word you shall not lift up in vain or misuse the Hebrew word shav there means empty trivial or meaningless it's one of the ways it uses the word. I'm going to show you how this word shows up in different contexts in the Old Testament, that Hebrew word. Psalm 31, 6, I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. So this word, in that context, it's the same word there where it means worthless. You shall not treat the Lord's name as worthless. That's one of the ways it's used. Psalm 12, 2, whoever utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart, they speak. The word there for lies is the same word for vain or useless. So it also could be lying about God's name, being deceitful about God's name. Jeremiah 18, 15, But my people have forgotten me. They make offerings to false gods. They made them to stumble on their ways in the ancient roads and to walk into side roads, not the highways. False gods. So that Hebrew word has a wide range of meanings. It can mean worthless. It can mean lying. It can mean false. um, It can mean useless, empty. So when you take that word all together... To misuse the Lord's name or to use the Lord's name in vain means to empty His name of its meaning, to make His name trivial, to use it as a swear word or cursing, or use it as a way to control Him, or make false assertions about His name. We distort His name, we dilute His name, we even falsify His name. That's what it means. Listen to what Thomas Watson says about this. When we profess God's name, but do not live answerably to it, we take it in vain. And listen to what he says here. Pretended holiness is merely double wickedness. I'll let you think about that for a moment. Titus 1, 15 through 16. To the pure, all things are pure, but the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but their minds and their consciences are defiled. Here is it. Here it is. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are te- detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. You may profess with your mouth that you know God, that you love God, that you worship God, but you're actions in your life may show otherwise and that is taking the lord's name in vain because what you're saying is i'm a christian i believe in god i'm verbally professing god but your lifestyle doesn't back it up so in a way you're misusing god's name you're attaching it to yourself but in a way that's empty or meaningless okay so there were three ways in the old testament in which people would misuse or use the lord's name in vain Number one, interestingly enough, was sorcery. Sorcery. Deuteronomy 18, 10 through 12, God says this about sorcery. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens, or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. Why is it so sinful to consult mediums, astrologers, tarot card readers, seances? Why is all that stuff so wrong? What, in fact, are you doing? You're saying... I don't trust God to guide me. I don't trust God's Word to lead me. I don't trust godly counsel from my pastor and elders or Christian friends that I trust. I'm going to go consult a person who is dealing with demonic stuff to give me direction. And he's writing this to God's people. So one of the ways God's people in the Old Testament misused the Lord's name or used the Lord's name in vain was to say, I'm an Israelite. God is my God. But I'm going to go consult a a necromancer. I'm going to go talk to a spirit medium to try to get direction. Because I don't trust God. I'd rather trust a wizard or a sorcerer or a witch. A witch doctor. That's one of the ways they would misuse the Lord's name. In the Old Testament, Is through sorcery. Okay, another way they would misuse the Lord's name, and this is, I think it happens today, False prophecy. Listen to what Jeremiah says about, or God says about these, these false prophets in Jeremiah 14, 14-15. The Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, although I did not send them and who say sword and famine shall not come upon this land, but sword and famine shall those prophets be consumed. What were these prophets saying? Prophet was showing up in Israel saying, I've been sent by the Lord. I've got a word from the Lord. Don't worry, Israelites. Everything's cool. God's not mad at you. You don't need to repent. Keep living in sin. It's all going to be good. And I'm coming in Jesus' name to tell you this. <laughs> and what's, what's Jeremiah say? Or what's God say to Jeremiah? I didn't send these guys. I didn't commission these guys. I didn't speak to these guys. As a matter of fact, they're speaking in my name, but speaking lies. So I want you to think about something. Let me ask you a question. What's worse? A non-Christian pagan using the Lord's name as a swear word, or a quote-unquote Christian evangelist who is misusing God's name to bring false prophecies to people and lead them astray. Which one's worse? The second one. Okay. At first glance, when we hear about using God's name in vain, what do we not normally think of? Oh, if somebody uses JC in a sentence, that's bad. It is bad. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But in God's mind, what's even worse? Somebody who claims to be a Christian, someone who claims to be a pastor, someone who claims to be a leader in God's name speaks speaking false prophecies that's ultimately misusing the lord's name because you're coming in god's name but preaching something falsely and god says to jeremiah i didn't I didn't send these guys and those guys that say hey it's not going to come famine's not going to come on you destruction's not going to come on you god says uh it's going to come on you it's going to come on you they're speaking these false prophecies okay so number one astrology necromancers spirit mediums you know sorcery number true fo- number two false prophets Number three, swearing false oaths. Okay, Leviticus 19, 12. You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. Okay, that's Leviticus. Deuteronomy 23, 21 through 22. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it for the Lord your God will surely require it of you and you will be guilty of sin but if you refrain from vowing you will not be guilty of sin so what's a vow a vow is a a conditional promise you make to God God I'm going to give you this I'm going to swear by this I'm going to I'm going to promise something to you with the intention of fulfilling it yeah marriage is and that's a positive one Positive example of a, of a vow is marriage. What's a negative vow, you guys remember? Remember Ananias and Sapphira? They promised to pay a portion of their stuff to the apostles, and they kept it back, and they lied about it. Okay, Listen to what Jesus says about oaths in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 33-37. Jesus said, Again you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform... To the Lord, what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Okay, I'm going explain that in just a moment here. Let's see what James says, because James echoes what Jesus says here. James 5.12, Above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. What is a false oath? Here's here's my best example of a modern-day way of doing this. A modern-day way of swearing a false oath would be to say this, I swear to God. You hear people say that all the time? I swear to God. What they're publicly saying with their mouth is, whether they know it or not, is that they're making a verbal oath before God of heaven that they're going to do what they're going to do. They mean what, what they say and they're not lying. And that if they are lying and they don't follow through with it, God will hold them accountable. I don't know if you know what people mean that when they say that. People swear oaths flippantly and invoke God's name, but do not understand the seriousness of it. God said you better... Better to not swear an oath at all and, and, and not keep it than to swear an oath. and I mean, better to not swear an oath at all, if you know you're not going to keep it, than to swear an oath and then not keep it. Let your yes be yes. Okay? So, misusing the Lord's name, lifting His, up, his name up in vanity, treating His name as worthless, useless, empty, false. That's the first big question. But notice, back to Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, notice the second half of the verse. The first half, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For, second half of the verse, the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So there's a second big question we've got to ask. What kind of punishment might ensue for breaking this commandment? God says, I'm not going to hold you guiltless. Here's the thing. Do you see any specific punishment listed there? The punishment's left unspecified. But in the Old Testament, we see two examples. Interestingly, turn one book over to the book of Leviticus. And some of you, when you get to your Bible reading programs and you're like, oh, I love Genesis. Ooh, Exodus is cool to get to the last half of Exodus. By the time I get to Leviticus, I'm like, what in the world? Law after law and mildew law and shellfish law and this atonement and that blood offering and that guilt offering. And you're like, law after law after law. Interestingly, in the book of Leviticus, it's all law except for there's two narratives. There's two accounts And both of them have to deal with breaking the third commandment. Interestingly. So, Leviticus 10, 1 and 2. So, you got law, 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 you got law. law. Then you've got chapter 10, verse 1 and 2. You got a little story popping up after all this law. Now, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, Each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. It's a pretty cryptic passage of Scripture. What do we know about these guys? Who are they? Sons of Aaron, Aaron, which means they are part of the Levitical priesthood. Some of your translations say strange fire, unauthorized, strange. Does it say unholy? Unholy? Okay. So there is, there's not a lot of description about what this quote-unquote strange fire is. Uh, The nature of the strange fire has been widely debated throughout the ages by both Jewish and Christian commentators. There's been two major suggestions. There's been a lot, but where most Jewish rabbis as well as Christian scholars have kind of landed on is this. The most commonly offered suggestions as to the nature of the offense of Nadab and Abihu include one, penetrating too far into the Holy of Holies. Okay, what happens if you go too far in? You die unless you're the high priest on the Day of Atonement. So one, one theory is they offered fire and they got too close to the Holy of Holies and they went further than they were supposed to go. And so they were consumed. That's that's theory number one. Theory number two is that they offered unauthorized coals from outside the temple area. That's probably the preference given because it's related to the fire. Either way you look at it, what happened? They died. Are these pagans doing witchcraft? These are priests. Are they worshiping the right God? Yes. Are they doing it in the wrong way? So they're breaking the second commandment, and they're possibly breaking the third because the third commandment says God will not hold him guiltless. God will punish those who use the Lord's name in vain. So they were coming in the name of the Lord to offer sacrifice to the Lord, but they did it in the wrong way, and they died. Okay? That's story number one, and you may think, "Well, that's not a big deal." I mean, what's the deal with? I mean, okay, they lit, they lit a match too close. They they walked in a little bit too far. They they went. They didn't get coals from the altar here. They walked over there about twenty more feet and found. It. The point is, when God prescribes how it's supposed to happen, that's how it's supposed to happen in the Old Testament. Now, it's not like today. If you come to church and you had a you know fight with your spouse and you walk in and you start singing the praise song and you're like, I don't sing this but I'm going to sing it happily and in your heart you're like it's not like God's going to rain down fire on you in that moment because you're you know you you've approached him the wrong way. Thankfully, we have a mediator today through Christ who gives us access. This is Old Testament. Let me show you the other story. The other story is very interesting. You got law, so chapter 11, law. Chapter 12, law. Chapter 13, laws about leprosy. Chapter 14, laws about lepers. Chapter 15, laws about bodily discharges. Chapter 16, day of atonement. Law, 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 law. <laughs> Punishment for child sacrifice. Law, law. Day of atonement. Feast of trumpets. Feast of this. Eye for an eye. Year of Jubilee. Year of Sabbath. Okay, blah, blah, blah. All these laws. Then you get to Leviticus chapter 24. Leviticus chapter 24, and you have. This story. Let's pick up in verse 10. Leviticus chapter 24, verse 10. Now an Israelite woman's son, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the people of Israel. And the Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel fought in the camp. And the Israelite's woman's son blasphemed the name and cursed. Then they brought him to Moses his mother's name was Shilamath, the daughter of Debri of the tribe of Dan. And they put him in custody till the will of the Lord should be made clear to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring out of the camp the one who cursed, and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head, and let all the congregation stone him. And speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him, the sojourner as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. So what does he do? It's just an innocent, quote-unquote, little fight. Two guys out fighting. And what does the one guy do? He says, blasphemes the name of the Lord and cursed. I don't know what it sounds like in Hebrew, but we know what it sounds like in English, right? He used the Lord's name as a cuss word. What was the punishment for him? Not just stoning, but what happened? Everybody came out and the whole assembly stoned him for blasphemy. So, Those are two examples of one of the ways God may have punished in the Old Testament, blasphemy. So breaking of the third commandment is technically called blasphemy, blasphemy. Isaiah 52, five through six. Now, therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing. Their rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually all day my name is despised. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, they shall know that as I who speak, here I am. What are the rulers? What are the pagans doing? They're despising God's name. Do you remember when Goliath came out to fight David? And he's spewing out curses against God. And what does David say to him? You uncircumcised Philistine, why in the world are you letting blasphemies come off your lip to the living God? You're not going to talk about my God that way. So much so, I'm going to kill you. (laughs) So, I mean, the name of the Lord was important to David. Revelation 16, 9 through 11. Don't ask me to tell you about all the different implications of this, but during the time of judgment, when God's pouring out His judgment on the earth, this is amazing to me, they were scorched by the fierce heat and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give Him glory. The fifth angel poured out His bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pains and their sores. They did not repent of their deeds. So in the midst of extreme judgment that God's pouring out, instead of people repenting, they curse God. You know what I think hell is going to be? I think you're going to hear... I don't have proof for this, but I think you're going to hear a lot of cursing of God in hell for eternity using God's name in vain. If people don't like Him now and blaspheme His name now and treat His name now, how much more are they going to do it in hell when they're being punished for not trusting in Him? Blasphemy. Now here's the big question. This This is the ultimate. So what is, first of all, what is taking the Lord's name in vain? It's misusing it. It's using it as a curse word. It's being disrespectful. It's it's treating it as worthless. It's going to see necromancers and false prophets and all these things. What's the punishment for it? Well, in the Old Testament, you have two examples, the strange fire and stoning. It's blasphemy. But here's the most important question. Why is his name so important that protecting it is one of the ten foundational commandments to Israel? What's so important about the name of God? Notice it doesn't say, you shall not misuse the Lord. It says you shall not misuse the Lord's name. So turn to Exodus for me. Go back to Exodus, Exodus chapter 3. This is really the the meat, the, the important part of this commandment. Exodus 3, 14 through 15. Exodus 3:14 through 15 God said to Moses I am who I am He said say this to the people of Israel I am has sent me to you God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. What did God give as his name? I am. Okay. Which is where we get Yahweh. When you say Yahweh, it sounds like you're taking a breath, right? Yahweh is Lord in all caps in your Bible, but it is a derivative of "I am." That's God's name, the "I am" God. Um, Philip Graham Ryken, um, who's a pastor and a scholar, I like what he says about this. This word "I am," this word Yahweh, this word speaks of God's self-existence, self-sufficiency and supreme sovereignty. For the Hebrews, the name of God was inseparable from the person. It expressed a person's inward identity. When we use the name of God, therefore, we're referring to the essence of the divine being. Let me ask you a question. How do you feel when someone forgets your name? As a pastor, sometimes that happens to me. Somebody visits and I'm like, Hey, buddy! Remind me of your name again. I say that a lot until I get it, um, or I come up to Jerry and say, um, hey, "Hello, Frederick. How are you doing?" Like, my name's not Frederick. Okay. So how do you how do you feel when somebody forgets? How do you feel when somebody laughs at your name? When I was growing up, you guys know how my name's spelled, right? S-E-A-N. Guess how many times I was called seen growing up. My best friend was named Sean, so we were Sean squared, and we had an expression because we were both called, this was like back in the 70s and 80s before the name was, I was named after Sean Connery because my parents were big James Bond fans, Um, and so Diamonds Are Forever came out in 1971, the year I was born, and so Sean Connery, Sean Cole. So anyway, um, but I had a saying growing up, if you call me seen, I'm going to get obscene. That was my, because my name was misspelled. Two years ago, I went to the Lifeway store in Denver to buy a book. And the lady asked, I went on the church account, Amanda Baptist Church, she's like, can you tell me your name? I'm like, Sean. She goes, I don't see Sean show up here. I see a scene. <laughs> she was like 60 years old too. I'm like, come on now. It's 2000, whatever year it is, 2007. Don't do that. So how, how do you feel when somebody mispronounces your name, laughs at your name, or gossips at your name behind your back? Your name is tied to you, right? You're not just a a nameless, faceless person out there, your name is who you are. I don't just go up to you and say, hey, it, hey, dude, hey, bud, hey, person. I call you by your name because your name is your identity. Same thing with God. When God gives His name, it's everything about His identity. So when you misuse God's name, when you forget God's name, when you mispronounce God's name, when you laugh at God's name, if that makes you feel bad think how much more God responds to his name being used that way. How did Jesus tell us to pray? In the Lord's Prayer, what did he say? In Matthew 6, 9, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, it's interesting, when Jesus teaches us to pray, why does Jesus focus on God's name? Why doesn't Jesus just say, pray like this? Our Father in heaven, you be hallowed. Is there anything wrong with that? No. Hallowed be your name. There are over 211 names for God in the Bible. You add the Son and the Holy Spirit to the mix... And there are another 489, making over 700 different names of God in the Bible. Now, what does it mean when Jesus tells us to pray to ask for God's name to be hallowed? The word hallowed means holy, revered, worshipped, glorified, magnified, or set apart. It, it, what Jesus is saying is that it's nothing less than a consuming passion that the entire world would honor and glorify and recognize that Almighty God is holy, sovereign and worthy of worship. Okay We're going to take a little jaunt through the Psalms here. I've got them on your sheet to show you all the different ways, just the Psalms talk about the name of the Lord. So we've got Psalm 8:1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your, name and all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. It's an old Michael W. Smith song. Oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You guys awake? <laughs> the psalmist could have said, oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic are you in all the earth. But what does he say? How majestic is your, your name? Psalm 29, two: ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord In splendor of holiness, ascribe to Him the glory due His name. Psalm 30, verse 4. Sing praises to the Lord, O you His saints, and give thanks to His holy name. Psalm 34, 3. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. Psalm 72, 19. Blessed be His glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with His glory. Amen and amen. His glorious name. Psalm 103.1, bless the Lord and all my soul and all this within me. Bless His holy name. Psalm 106.8, yet He saved them for His name's sake, that He might make known His mighty power. Psalm 111.9, He sent redemption to His people. He has commanded His covenant forever. Holy and awesome is His name. could have just said holy and awesome is God, but it says holy and awesome is His name over and over again, His name. Psalm 115.1, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to Your name give glory for the sake of Your steadfast love and Your faithfulness. So here's a question. If God is inherently holy and majestic and awesome, then why would Jesus need us to pray and ask that His name be holy? We don't add anything to God that He doesn't already somehow have when we pray, okay? So we're not praying to add holiness to God's name. His name's already intrinsically holy. Here's what we're doing when we're praying for God's name to be hallowed. What we're doing in this request is expressing a heartfelt desire that the entire world would see God as holy, that His name would not be blasphemed or dishonored or used in vain. Some verses here about God's glory. 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Isaiah 6.3, And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Then you've got Habakkuk 2.14, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Deuteronomy twenty-five, fifty-eight. If you are not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God. Think about all the things. Glorious and awesome name, holy name, majestic name, powerful name. Um, Isaiah 50, verse 10. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of His servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon His God. Those are all Old Testament. Let me give you a New Testament. This sums everything up. Colossians 3, 16 through 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. You think God's name's important? I mean, we could have gone on over and over. Just, I just gave you maybe 15 psalms. that talked about His name. Um, you could go on and on. John Calvin said this. I, I like this quote. I came across it this week. He says, We ought to be so disposed in mind and speech that we neither think nor say anything concerning God and His mysteries without reverence and much soberness that in estimating his works we conceive nothing but what is honorable to him now i'm going to give you guys a funny new testament example okay turn in your bibles to acts chapter 19 this is actually a funny story but it's it's interesting how you see this show up in the new testament acts chapter 19 This is in Ephesus, Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 11. Acts nineteen eleven through 17. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them, so they fled out of the house naked and wounded." And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. What's going on here? Paul was doing everything in the name of Jesus because he had apostolic authority. He was the apostle Paul. He had personally been commissioned by Jesus himself. Paul had the apostolic authority to do these miracles. So these guys are walking around. They're like, oh, Paul's using the name of the Lord. It must be a mantra. I can go up to anybody in the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord. I can do this in the name of the Lord. So these seven sons of Sceva perceive that there must be some quite a, quote, magic power in using the incantation of Jesus' name. If Paul could use it, why can't we use it? So what do they do? Seven of them go up to this demon-possessed guy and say, come out of here. And the, the demon says, I know Paul, I know Jesus, I don't know you. So they got beaten up. And left for naked. They got punished for <laughs> blaspheming the name of the Lord. They thought they could use the Lord's name to do magic tricks for their own personal gain, and God did, in fact, punish them by allowing them to get the beating they deserve. So let's get to contemporary application. We may actually finish tonight. Contemporary application. Number one, as Christians, we need to remember that we bear the very name of Christ. How were you saved? Acts 4.12, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You're saved in the name of Jesus. When you become a Christian, you take on the name of Christ. You are called a Christian. Romans 10.13, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When you got baptized... Matthew 28, 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Even in your baptism you were baptized into the name. 1 Corinthians 6, 11, Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So whether you like it or not, as a Christian, you bear God's name. By the very fact of who you are. So you can use God's name without actually verbalizing God's name. Because if you're a Christian, you already bear his name. You're saved in his name, you're baptized in his name, you are you, you're sanctified in his name. Everything's about the name of Christ. So we just need to remember that. Number one, as a Christian, we bear the very name of God. Number two, and this is where we're going to get real personal. Do we see flippant? misuse of God's name and mild cussing as a violation of the third commandment. Nobody here is going to argue with me that GD is a cuss word or JC is a cuss word. But let me just tell you guys something. OMG, oh my God, good Lord, I swear to God. That's just as much using the Lord's name in vain. Some people even argue, oh my gosh is using the Lord's name in vain because you're just substituting gosh for God. And I'm not going to go that far, but anytime you invoke or say God's name in a way that's not reverent, you are misusing His name. And you may not even intend to do that. You may just think it's an expression. You hear it all the time, oh my God, or my Lord, or good Lord, or um, whatever whatever the other ones I wrote in here, I swear to God. Mild, I would consider that mild cussing because you are using the name of God flippantly now if you're in prayer and you say god oh my god i come before you as my great god and king that's different right because in worship you're using his name to worship him but when you get cut off in traffic and you say omg i can't believe that gd blankety blank blankety blank that's using god's name in vain in a way that's that's flippant okay what about number three do we misuse God's name as a blank check, using it, as an, um, using it to advance our own selfish agendas? I can't tell you how many times I've heard somebody say this to me. The Lord told me, or the, the Lord gave me a word. The Lord told me that I should divorce my husband and go continue this affair with this woman, or this man I've been, whatever. Nowadays, you never know. But the Lord told, and you're like, I don't think God told you that. That's using the Lord's name in vain, because what are you doing? You're saying, I'm invoking the Lord's name to justify sinful behavior. I'm, I'm invoking the Lord's name to, to justify doing something that goes against His will. Or also taking Scripture out of context to fit your agenda that was okay for them back now, but we're more evolved and we're more progressive now and it didn't really mean what it says. And so God God understands. The Lord understands. God and I have got an agreement (laughs) is what you're saying. Okay, so you can misuse God's name by just using it as a blank check. Invoking His name to give you permission to do whatever you want to do because quote unquote God told you to do it. Okay, Number four, do we use God's name in vain when we use Christian cliches without meaning or put God's name on t-shirts and other kitschy items like the Jesus bobbleheads, Jesus is my homeboy? You can be kind of kitschy. I used a word today that none of my other pastor friends knew, schmaltzy. Does anybody know what schmaltzy means? I asked Siri and she gave me a good definition. Does anybody know what schmaltzy means? I looked it up. So let's ask. Yeah, it's something like. So here we go, Siri. I did. A, what is schmaltzy? Whoops, I'm on silent.
0: Let me think about that. Here's some information.
1: Schmaltzy. Effusely or insincerely emotional. Schmaltzy, drippy, hokey, kitschy, mushy, slushy. Mockish, maudlin, sappy, sappy. So schmaltzy is a new word for you. Schmaltzy. Sometimes we can use, we can portray God in schmaltzy, kitschy, irreverent ways by, you know, Jesus' bobbleheads, Jesus is my homeboy. Sure. Anytime that you're, you're basically domesticating God to make him somehow... Schmaltzy. Let's just put it that way. Look, okay. I have a
0: t-shirt that says Got Jesus. It's hell if you don't. Okay.
1: <laughs> but here's one I think that we can we can come close to committing if we're not careful. Number five. Do we use God's name in vain when our worship is careless, insincere, and, and half-hearted? Mm-hmm. We are to come into corporate worship in the name of Christ. And when you come into worship and you're not fully engaged and you're not giving in, you know, you're you're half-hearted, you're insincere, you're going through the motions, are you talking to God, praying to God, singing to God, but in your heart, you're not there? It could be misusing the Lord's name. So those are just some modern day ways. We've got four minutes, and I'm gonna finish. You guys ready? How does Jesus? transform. This is a scary verse. Some people will keep on using Jesus' name up to the final judgment and still not be saved. Matthew seven twenty one through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do mighty works in your name, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So there can be people, false converts, who do religious things in Jesus' name but aren't saved. Go on mission trips in your name. Taught vacation Bible school in your name. All these things in your name. But but Jesus says, I never knew you because you never had a personal relationship with me. You were faking it the whole time. At the final judgment... All people will recognize and bow at the name of Jesus. This is what I'm looking forward to. All the people on earth who've used Jesus' name as a cuss word, here's what's going to happen to them on that final day. Philippians 2, 9 and 10, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Isaiah 45, 21 through 25. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There's none besides me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me, our righteousness and strength to him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him. In the Lord all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. On that final day, Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Now, does that mean everybody's saved? No. But it does mean that those who blaspheme the Lord's name time after time inadvertently smash their hand on a hammer. They they were a pagan, didn't know any better, Cuss God out. To the violent atheist who cusses God out purposefully, on that final day, everybody will confess the name of Jesus and recognize Him. Now, some will be doing it joyfully like us and some will be doing it with hate in their hearts. But His name is going to be honored on that final day. Um, And like I said, who knows, maybe in hell there's going to be cussing of God's name for eternity. We don't have any time for questions except for one minute. Uh. Anybody got a question, a comment, or a snide remark? I would probably get out of the habit of saying I swear because what you're basically doing is you're making an oath that you're you're swearing to something. You're making a public oath to somebody that you're honest, you're legitimate, or you're going to fill through with it. So whether you swear to heaven, swear to God, or like C3PO, thank the maker, you swear to the maker, um, whoever you swear to, um, you're, you're making some type of, you know, so I'd probably get out of the habit of saying that language, because it's kind of a flippant way of... Uh, we know kind of what, what you mean, but it's it's not being very... Yes, yeah. Reese. So the thing about, you
0: know, all that sorcerer stuff and stuff like that. Yes. Look at all the cartoons. Look at all the, I mean, everything that has different types of sorcery or yeah, um, Yeah, it's out. Sure. That, and, and our kids are watching, I mean you
1: know. Yeah, we need to be careful about yeah. what type of demonic influences we have. So. I, I Yeah. Well, guys, next week we're going to talk about the Sabbath day, which is going to be a controversial one. And one of the hardest, that's one of the hardest of the the commandments because it's not, um, it's one of the few commandments that's really talked about in the New Testament. Jesus deals with all the other ones, but Sabbath has been the one that's the most controversial. How do you celebrate the Sabbath today? So that's what we're going to talk about next week.